Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Welcome to season 13. We've been going like longer than Seinfeld. Season 13 of Finding God in the Music. It used to be Finding God on your iPod, and then finally that just became ridiculous because nobody gave even find their old iPod. So how could you find God on it? You can't even find the iPod. So a year or two ago, we just, we just changed it to the music. Because eventually it'll be, you know, finding God on that little implant in your skull that plays any song you want because you just think about it. I don't know. I like doing this, I wouldn't do it for 13 years, of taking song and sermon and sort of blending them together um, and just sort of pointing out that in ways that might surprise some of us, the gospel is embedded in our culture. But let's be honest, mostly I do it for fun. (laughs) And I make no apology for doing some stuff in church on a Sunday morning in the summer that's just, it's just fun. It's fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. Now, I kind of work on this throughout the year. I don't work on it real hard until about June or so, but I'm always thinking. And for a long time, I really tried to keep everything current. I wanted to be current. And, you know, that from the last 12 months. So I had picked out, I had songs from Fontaine's D.C., The Killers, Pretenders, His Golden Messenger, and Foo Fighters. But then I thought, you know, the problem is we don't, we don't listen to the same radio anymore. We used to. Everybody kind of more or less listened to the same radio, at least in the rock, pop, R&B, soul genre. You'd hear a lot of the same songs. Um, now, you know, it's everybody's in their Spotify and their streaming, and, and so we're all kind of off in our own little fragmented world musically. And so I could do these songs. They're great songs. Who knows? I may pick, may use them in the future, but, but nobody knows them. And so it's hard to kind of get into it when you're hearing a song for the first time. And so I thought, well, we've done some from the 60s and from the 70s recently. Why not? We'll go with the 80s. Now, let's be honest. It wasn't the best decade for music. Too, too much synthesizer, just too much synthesizer. But it doesn't mean that, you know, that there was no good music to be found. Au contraire, there, there is good music. And so I've picked out five radio hits from the 80s. If you were driving, how many of you were driving around a car in the 1980s? All the young people, <laughs> no. Uh, well, then you've probably heard these songs. If you were in a car and had a radio on to a rock or pop channel, you probably almost certainly heard these songs. I say they're from the 80s. I'm cheating a little bit. We're going to take them in order. We're going to go. The first one comes from 1979, August of 79. Close enough. When you make up the rules, you can break them. And uh, so I'm going to start with 79, and we'll go up to 89. Uh, and I also, well, I'm going to start with Bob Dylan. That, I'm, I'm sure you find that is shocking. Uh, but I, I want to start with Dylan because... In 1979, 1980, 1981, Dylan released three consecutive, just flat-out Christian albums. And that sort of shocked everybody. He started in 1979 with his first Christian album, and then he toured it. 
and people booed because all he played was his new Christian music. He didn't play like a Rolling Stone, didn't play Lady Lady Lady, didn't play Blowing in the Wind, just played all his new Christian music. And people booed. They bought tickets and came, but they booed. And uh, Dylan, you know, what other artist has gone on two extended tours in his life where he was relentlessly booed? First when he went electric and then when he went Christian. Yeah, you got to respect that. Um, so let me tell the story. Let me tell the story. It was 1979. I'm a Jesus freak. Still am. And uh, rumors were out that Bob Dylan, my musical hero, had become a Christian. Now, first of all, I don't even know how we had rumors before the Internet. <laughs> how did we even hear anything? Like this word of mouth. I don't know how that works, but apparently it does. And so the rumors were out there that Bob Dylan had become a Christian. In fact, he was attending a vineyard church out in California. And that he's releasing a new album. And that it's going to be a Christian album. I thought, well, that's just too good to be true. I actually couldn't quite get my hopes up. I thought, that's just too good to be true. So the release date came. It was a Tuesday, because that's back when they used to always release things on Tuesdays. It was Tuesday, August 20th. I was at Musicland at the East Hills Mall at 10 o'clock when the place opened. You know, they lift, you know, speaking of the 80s, it's the mall, you know. <laughs> you lift up that. And I'm, bang, I'm in there. And I go over and I find Bob Dylan, a new album. And I, I look at it. And I go, oh, my goodness. That guy with the pickaxe? It looks like, uh, looks like he's carrying a cross. I flip it over. Oh, my goodness. That's Dylan on a boat. It looks like he's standing under a cross. Oh, I'm probably just hallucinating. I'm making things up. So I rushed out of music land. I went to the catacombs, which was our Christian coffee house, that two years later would become Word of Life Church. Nobody was there. I was there by myself. And I put this thing, I put this thing on the turntable and heard nine clearly Christian songs. I wept for joy. I really did. I wept for joy. Slow train coming. And then after that, he came out with Saved. And then after that, Shot of Love. Three consecutive albums in three years. Um, how was this received? Well, it sold two million copies. It, it did really well. It's actually one of his best-selling albums. It sold two million copies because the music is just flat-out great. Uh, but it was a testimony to his faith in Jesus. Um, here's how he wrote the album. Later, we would learn this. He was attending a Bible study in the home of a Hollywood producer in Beverly Hills, as one does. And uh, the Bible study was mostly for, you know, people in the Hollywood community and the music community. It was that kind of Bible study, led by one of the uh, pastors of the Anaheim Vineyard. And Dylan would just be there at the Bible study, didn't say much, just listened. But then he told the the owner of the house, the Hollywood producer, he said, hey, it'd be all right if after the Bible study's over and everybody's left, and you and your wife go off to bed, if I just stay right down here by this fireplace, because I like the vibe here, I want to write some songs here. And so week after week, after the Bible study, each week he'd write another song, he'd sit there and just drawing upon something from the Bible study, quietly with his acoustic guitar, he wrote nine songs that became... The album, Slow Train Coming. So what song do I want to pick? Well, I just want to start with the first song. Just the first song, Gotta Serve Somebody. 
Um, it's a good song. It was a radio hit. It was on the radio. It was a big hit. It was on the radio. Uh, and for those of you, for those of you that still want to try to convince me that Bob Dylan can't sing, it won the Grammy for Best Male Vocal Performance. So there you go. I mean, you might think he can't sing, but the Grammy said, no, give him an award. It's really good. And so, got to serve somebody. So we're going we're gonna to play that for you now. Onliners, listen up. Because of copyright, police, we dare not stream it to you or we could get shut down. And what a sad thing that would be. And so, but we have that. We prepared. We prepared a video with the lyrics. If you go to wolc.com/slash/music-videos, right? It makes sense. wolc.com/slash/music-videos. You'll find the same video there that we're going to show here, and then and then you come back, and I'll preach a sermon about got to serve somebody. So here it is, Bob Dylan, got to serve somebody. Preacher, preacher, 
spiritual pride Maybe a city councilman taking bribes on the side Maybe working in a barber shop you may know how to cut hair It may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir But you're gonna have to serve somebody Yes, you're gonna have to serve somebody Joshua 24, 15. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I bet that's what that Bible study was on. So Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, he has led the Israelites over the Jordan and into the Promised Land. And after several decades, they have finally possessed the land. They are now living in peace, in their promised land. Joshua is 110 years old. He knows his death is near, so he calls the 12 tribes of Israel to gather to him in Shechem. And he gives his farewell address. He gives the history of God calling Abraham their bondage in, in, in Egypt and Moses delivering them out of that bondage, their journey through the wilderness, finally coming into the promised land and possessing it. 
He reminds them of their covenant with the living God. He calls them to be faithful. And then he says this, serve the Lord. Serve Yahweh. Serve the living God. Serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you won't, then choose whom you will serve. You can serve the gods on the far side of the Euphrates that our ancestors used to serve. Or you can serve the gods of the Canaanites here in this land. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I like it that Joshua makes it clear that not serving is not an option. In a rare Hebrew manuscript from the text, we find that apparently he also said, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. Might be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Amen. What I like about Dylan's song is how it just hammers home the point that non-worship is not an option. It doesn't matter who you are, what your beliefs are, what your status is. You're going to have to worship something and you're going to serve what you worship. It may be power. It may be politics. It may be pride. It may be money. It may be sex. It may be religion. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you're going to worship something and you're going to serve what it is you worship. Now, I know the modern secular person takes offense at this because they're convinced they don't worship. I know the modern secular person will take offense at this. I doubt that Dylan or Joshua, either one, care. Because it's true. Joshua and the whole witness of Scripture calls us to worship the Lord, the God who is, the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to serve the Lord? Joshua in all of Scripture calls us to serve the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean you have to go into vocational ministry like BZ? No, of course not. Of course not. What does it mean to serve the Lord? Well, he has told you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. See, what is it? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's what it means to serve. That's what, that's what God wants you to do. You say, what does God want me to do? This is what he wants you to do. He wants you to, to do justice. That is, we look around and we go, you know, not everything about this world's right. There's some things that are deeply wrong. There are people who are suffering 
from systems that are unjust. And so we're called to do what we can, whether in some grand way or just among our circle of influence of four people, to do what we can to move in the direction of people being treated right, people being treated fairly, people getting their slice of the pie instead of a few get it all and the rest have to do without. We're called to do justice. We're called to love mercy, just love, love mercy. That we prioritize mercy. We don't love paybacks. We don't love revenge. We don't love getting even. We don't love seeing them get what they deserve. We love mercy because God's that way. So we do justice because we want, we want people to have what's right. We love mercy. We love mercy because it's the way God is. Well, we love mercy because how many of you love receiving mercy? Well, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So we, we're going to do justice. We're going to love mercy. We're going to walk humbly. God is opposed to the proud. There's nothing more proud than saying, I don't worship anything. Oh, yes, you do. I see you right now worshiping yourself. We're going to walk humbly. We're not going to. We're not going to just surrender all to the ego. We're going to walk humbly, and we're going to do it all with God. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. That's the thing, with God. Acknowledging God, being aware of God. Having the Abraham kind of orientation of the soul toward God. That's what it means to serve the Lord. And you can do that, you know... (laughs) You might be a construction worker working on a home, might live in a mansion, might live in a dome. I don't remember the rest of the words. You may work in a barbershop, may know how to cut hair. Maybe somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. But we're going to have to serve the Lord or the devil. All right, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 verse 1 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In in the New Covenant, we don't have any ritual blood sacrifices. No one brought their goat with them today. No one brought their lamb or their heifer, thank God, with them. To offer upon the altar. But that doesn't mean there isn't a sacrifice. I mean, Jesus ends the sacrifice to end violent ritual sacrificing, but that doesn't mean there's no sacrifice. Paul says, no, no, you're gonna you're gonna be a living, you're gonna sacri- you're gonna sacrifice yourself as a living sacrifice. Not, not as a bloody body upon an altar, but a but a living body that is just surrendered to doing the will of God, to doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. So to give our bodies, that is our whole lives, to God in the humble service of justice and mercy 
is an essential aspect of how we worship God. Worship and service, worship and doing justice, worship and loving mercy go together. This is a great theme of the Hebrew prophets. Because people can, you know, get into that thing. I show up at the temple. I pray the prayers. I sing the songs. I do what we do at the temple. And then I'm good to go. And the prophets come along and say, well, now hold on just a minute. In the name of the Lord, I want to tell you. That if when you leave the temple, you go out there and you oppress and you cheat and you rip off your workers and you buy up their house and throw them out onto the street and you don't care, don't care for the widows and the orphans. Well, then you know what? Thus saith the Lord, you don't even need to come to the temple because I won't accept your worship if you're living like that. Your, your incense will be a stench in my nostrils. Your songs, I'll hate them. This is what the prophets say. So that our worship, what we were just doing half hour ago, and our lifestyle of justice, mercy, and humility need to be the same thing. They need to go together. They need to complement one another. So that, in other words, when Word of Lifers serve at the Open Door Food Kitchen, it's an act of justice and mercy, but it's also an act of worship. It all goes together. So then does that mean that we can skip formal worship? You know, the the worship of prayer and praise and song and just proclaiming, God, you're great, we worship you. Does that mean that because God is committed to us doing justice and loving mercy, that we can skip the formal aspect of worship and just do justice and mercy instead? I don't think so. We need the spiritual formation that comes from prayerful worship. We need that. Part of humility is to acknowledge through worship that God is God and we are not. I mean, your soul will get distorted, twisted out of shape by society's pliers. If you never express In prayer, in language, God, I worship you. I praise you, God. I give you thanks. Creator of all things, blessed be your holy name. If we don't ever do that, then our soul is going to be malformed. And we'll forget the great truth that God is God and we are not. Our prayerful worship of God nurtures and sustains our lifestyle of worship. So you have both. You have your prayerful worship. that's, That's when you pray. That's when you sing psalms and songs and hymns and blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. There's that. And then there's the lifestyle of worship that is doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly. They go together. It's, 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 It's not an either or thing. Because it's as we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in prayerful worship that we are formed into the kind of people that can love our neighbors as ourselves. Maybe just loving your neighbor as yourself comes naturally for you. I'm going to let you in on a secret. It's not natural for me. Loving myself as myself comes natural. I found that fairly easy to do. 
to want what I want. But to want for my neighbor as I want for myself, goodness and fairness and justice and all of that, that I, I need some formation for that to become who I am. So there are those that say, well, you know, we don't need to worship God. We just need to do what's right. Just do justice. Do that. Love mercy. I'm skeptical of the idea that over generations, maybe a generation or two, but I'm skeptical that over multiple generations, a society can do justice and mercy without retaining some kind of worship of a just and merciful God. I'm skeptical that we can be our own God and remain a just and merciful people. I'm very skeptical of that. Yes, I know, there are, there are plenty of examples of post-Christian secular societies that are just and merciful. I'm, I'm very aware of that. There are plenty of examples of post-Christian secular societies that you can find within them plenty of justice and mercy. But this is a secularism that still draws upon its inherited Christian capital. I mean, if you're going to have justice and mercy really flourishing in a society, there needs to be a foundation of the assumption that love is the chief virtue. That more important than any other virtue, more important than courage or honor, anything like that, the most important virtue is love. Well, that, that doesn't come from the Enlightenment. So these, these post-Christian secular societies of justice and mercy, I maintain they're still drawing upon the Christian capital where they're still able to just assume that love is the chief virtue, but that assumption does not come from the Enlightenment. Where does it come from? It comes from Jewish and Christian faith who have been formed in the two great commandments. The first of all is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then go out and love your neighbor as yourself. And we have a long history of being formed in that and then the idea that we can then disconnect from God and still maintain the love, justice, and mercy. I'm, I'm um, skeptical of that. This is one of the themes in the brothers Karamazov. I, fear, I mean, if I'm going to talk about Dylan, might as well talk about Dostoevsky today. Get all my heroes in here, one sermon. One of the, one of the themes that goes repeatedly in that theological novel is Ivan Karamazov arguing with his novice monk brother Aloysia saying that without God everything is permitted. Once you've, once you've removed God from your life then really you can do what you want. Meaning who can define what is virtue, what is right, what is wrong, what is just, what is unjust? Without God, all things are permitted. And so a generation or so after Dostoevsky writes that in Russia, the Bolsheviks come along and overthrow the czars in order to bring about justice without God. And they ended up with the brutal injustices of the gulag. Alexander Solzhenitsyn can tell you all about it in Gulag Archipelago. 
Well, all I know is that you may be a state trooper. You may be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. But you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. I don't recommend that. It may be the Lord. That's what we're going for. But the idea that you're not going to serve somebody, that's folly. Recently, someone in the process of deconstructing their Christian faith asked me this question. They said, does God even want or need our worship? (laughs) Well, first of all, God doesn't need anything. Let's, let's, Let's be clear about this. God is not needy. The triune God who is Father and Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not like, oh, I need someone to... They don't... The, the, the Godhead, the living God, does not need anything. God's not needy. God's not insecure. God is love seeking expression. I mean, if God needs anything, it's find me somebody to love. See, I just pulled that right queen right there. It's not in the notes. God doesn't need anything. But we need to worship God. It's part of how we open our soul to the infinite goodness of God. I absolutely need to worship God. I mean, I know for sure that for my soul not to be misshapen, into selfishness, I need to have prayerful worship of the living God at the center of my life. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Stand up with me. It's communion time. We haven't done this for 17 months. I know we're coming to Holy Communion, but I've got to give some instructions. Now, here's how it works. In just a moment, you will be invited to come. Ushers will help you, you know, know when your row is to come. You come down here, and there'll be somebody with a a basket of bread. They will say this to you. The body of Christ broken for you. So then you take that bread. And then someone else will have a cup. And they'll say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Then you take that bread. See, I'm not assuming anybody remembers any of this. <laughs> and you dip it in the cup. And partake of the body and blood of Christ. Now, if you're uncomfortable with that, we, we, still have, we still have these. They're in there, so you could, you could take that if you like. Um, and all of it, this is, this is so pedantic, it, all of it is gluten-free. The little wafer in here, gluten-free. This bread right here, gluten-free. So you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. This wine is not wine, it's alcohol-free, it's grape juice, but we call it wine because that would be appropriate. 
trying to remember, did I say everything I'm supposed to say about this? Okay, now before we go into that, though, because we're also baptizing people today. So those who are going to be baptized, I want you to come down because you're going to be first. You're going to be first in line. Those that are being baptized and those that are with them, parents, that sort of thing. Would you, would you come right now? Yeah, let's, let's welcome them as they come. Indeed, let's welcome them. Just come and kind of line up right across here. Right across here. This is wonderful. People getting baptized. I'm so happy. All right. Do we have any more? A couple more. Okay, they're coming. There. We'll, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. We're not in a hurry. I mean, a little bit, but not much. <laughs> oh, there's some more. Yes, welcome. Coming down here on crutches. Way to go. All right, so we're going to have you receive communion first. But before we receive communion, we're going to... Uh, we're going to make an ancient confession. This is what the very first Christians way back 2,000 years ago would say before they were baptized. And so we're going to say what they said. It's called the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's make our prayer of confession and receive the Lord's mercy. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little you who have been here often, you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.